Wild ending between the Pistons and the 76ers, and we recap the rest of the night's games. Plus, my conversation with the athletic Sam Amick on DeMar DeRozan, Spitgate, and a whole lot more. And Paul Pierce starts a vaping company and ignites the medical marijuana debate in the NBA. This is your Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast covering everything around the association. And on every Wednesday, I am, of course, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter, the editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. And I am John Corrales, host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You find my work, RedsArmy.com, Boston.com, and my Patreon, Patreon.com slash John Corrales. Oh, I like the promotion on that here. But a boom! It's hey. big news coming soon, right? Full time. Right, that's it. Yep, starting actually on Monday. So I go into my full full time Boston Celtics beat reporter for myself. Dude, that's it's awesome. Kind of I am thrilled for you regarding this. Okay. Okay, so the Wednesday edition of Lockdown NBA, of course, the Lockdown NBA podcast coming to you guys five days a week. If you've been with us since the beginning, we appreciate you staying with us. And if you're new, it's the start of a year and it's going to be a fun NBA season. So, of course, tune on in Monday through Friday to get your fix of all things going on around the NBA. John, let's recap the league. It's too long. Didn't watch. I'm excited to bring this back. And we had a wild game in, in um, oh, Detroit there with the ending. Yeah, yeah. So 133-112, the Pistons win in overtime. Uh, Blake Griffin with an and one to seal the win. He had 50 5-0 points on 20 of 35 shooting, 5 of 10 from three. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Who takes 35 shots? He dropped 50 in this game, 14 rebounds, 6 assists. I mean, a hell of a, a, hell of a performance from Blake Griffin. Uh, and that was just, he had it going, man. He, he was really cooking. He had it going in the post. Uh, he made some great passes. He led the, the, uh, Pistons with six assists. I mean, it was really, really a great overall game. Griffin had everything working tonight. That, I mean, that's what they wanted when they traded for him though. They kind of had to make a move for a star that maybe you can build a little bit more around. And like, finally they get that big payoff game from him. Yeah. I mean, look, this is. We had this conversation coming up in my uh, interview with uh, Sam Amick. I wondered how much this uh, freedom of movement, like this is going to benefit a guy like him who's. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The whole thing with Blake Griffin is he had to bang so much early on. And now if he's not going to be touched, then if he's going to be able to, to do things that require less banging, and for him to have developed this three-point game, and not only was he hitting threes, he took some deep ones. So the the evolution of Blake Griffin, not bad. I, this is working out pretty well. So the only criticism of him, he was five eleven from the free throw line. 
So uh, then you, at that point, it's like nitpicking in a 50 right. point game on 35 shots. Again, the three point shooting helps. And again, it's, it's kind of the evolution of the modern NBA big for the 76ers though. Joel Embiid with 33 points on the night, JJ Redick off the bench scoring 30, no um, uh, Simmons in this one for them. So th- what's interesting to me about this is the pace was a little bit lower. It looks like it was clocking in. We don't have the official number just yet, but right around a hundred, that's slower than what Philly wants to play. Yeah, they. I, I think they settle a little bit. Like Embiid took twenty shots, and he he slows things down, man. Uh, this is an interesting time for Joel Embiid because he still likes to talk a lot, and he had a a nice number. Like the numbers he put up were great: thirty three points, eleven rebounds, seven assists. I feel like this is going to be the year where people start to uh, wonder about Joel Embiid because a lot of times when he takes the shots that he takes, he slows things down for the rest of his team. And you'll see time and time again, writers looking at Embiid's offense say, yeah, he's posting up and a lot of players are standing around. The ball doesn't move as much when Embiid is trying to cook and get his own offense. And the, again, the numbers look good for him, but is what Joel Embiid is doing, is what he's, what he's putting out uh, offensively, is that really what's best for the entire team. And I think there's starting to be some questions uh, cropping, cropping up about whether he slows things down too much. Uh, so what I also wonder with this team, I think that's a big part of it is, does he kind of fit what they've kind of built? And like you, you have to build around him. I think it's kind of as simple as that. And are like maybe the complimentary players, the, the best ones to kind of put around with him. And there's still like this Philly team we all thought was going to take a step forward. But as they kind of are going through some growing pains right now, like Fultz and Simmons out there at the same time, even though he didn't play, are kind of questionable. It seems like maybe in the interim, they're going to take a bit of a step back in the meantime. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because Fultz, Simmons didn't play. Fultz all of a sudden was six of nine shooting. He hit another three. He had, you know, uh, 13 points, six rebounds, only one assist, which is not great, but not a bad game. I mean, he, he still had a, a decent game and he, he kind of looked a little kind of scrappy, a little bit of bounce in this game. He, so, also, he also hit only a three. That's minutes. always a reason to celebrate, too. Yeah, that's. That's huge. That's huge. The the other big thing coming out of this game, and I have to call him beat out for this. The flop that ended up getting Andre Drummond ejected. He was ejected for a second technical foul. It was as like, I understand I'm a Boston guy. I understand that Marcus Smart exists. I say this with full knowledge. This was at best, at, at least as bad as anything Marcus Smart has ever done. I would say it's worse because it, uh, Andre Drummond kind of had his hand up and it like grazed uh, Embiid's face and Embiid just flopped like, like almost uh, like the Chris Paul against Boogie that gift that goes around where he kind of throws himself into, into cousins and he flails around. Just, well, of course. Like, I mean, Paul's known for this too. So are some guys too. And Embiid also just seems like a dude who's going to flop. He yeah, and he did. He did in a big way. And I remember once upon a time the league actually had flopping fines. This would draw <laughs> a fine. And I hope they bring it back just for this flop because that was egregious. And it ended up getting Andre Drummond tossed. And uh, I have no skin in this game, really. Like they're both Eastern Conference 
teams. I, I'm happy that the flopping that got Drummond ejected didn't cost the Pistons the game. Because they that if you're watching that game and that happened you, and you had neutral observer, you'd say, well, at this point, I kind of want Detroit to win because that was such crap. Hey, you're going to get a game winning and one. That'll certainly do it. Also, you definitely sound like a Boston guy for sure. <laughs> talking about the game. It's, speaking of Boston, let's talk about the Pelicans in AD here because, of course, that's like the, the, natural, <laughs> the natural segment. Pelicans winning 116 over the Clippers, 109, being the New Orleans guy. I hated the refs in this one. I'm not even going to pretend. Like, I try and be neutral, and usually it takes a lot to fire me up, but this one kind of went all the Clippers' way in terms of fouls. Some were right. Some were definitely not. Julius Randle got uh, his sixth foul in this. That's not kind of a normal thing. But Anthony Davis, 34 and 13 on the night. You had Julius Randle with 18 off the bench. Alfred Payton continues to play well for this team. 20 points on the night, six rebounds, six assists. And Nikola Mirotic, who went 0 for 6 from 3, still scored 18 points. I think the Pelicans kind of getting this win when they didn't shoot well from the field, just 43% overall. They've been shooting 56% for the season, just 25% from deep is kind of a scary thing league wide. They can win these kind of ugly games where they somehow have to grind them out and still in the second half really pulled away from this Clippers team where the Clippers made it interesting, but never really kind of threatened and made you think that they were going to win the game. Yeah, it's, uh, how do you feel about them only scoring 116 points after leading the league with 140 per game after the first week? It, look, and, and the Clippers play slow, and for the first half, they kind of like we have to talk about pace in every game now. I think at least with the way this season's kind of gone, and the, the the Clippers play slow, and they dictated pace in the first half, and the pace still ended up being what we're looking at now is something like 104, 105, which is faster than the fastest team, which was the Pelicans in the league last season. So this is a big game also you know they they did some things in this one that you kind of want to see from them only eight total turnovers so this team is scoring and flying and playing in a very kind of like controlled style of ball I think that's just important I I'm high on this Pelicans team I really like Julius Randle too with this group of guys and I think they could be pretty scary going forward of course I'm also being homerish on that one say what <laughs> we, uh, we don't do that on the podcast here do you think Alfred Payton can keep this up? So I was talking to a couple of people about that at this game. I think to an extent, you know, all of a sudden in this team, he kind of understands his role a little bit better. You know, when he was in Orlando, he was basically the one or two score. Same thing kind of on the Suns. He's probably the number two or three guy there. Here he's four or five in terms of like offensive priority, which I think maybe fits his skill set a little bit better. You don't want him being your one or two go-to guy. That's too much pressure on him. But he comes to the situation where he can defer to Drew Holiday. He doesn't need to take the best perimeter guy on the defensive side of the ball. You have AD there. You have Miritich. You have Julius Randle. You kind of just play with them and to use a cliche, let the game come to you. And that works, I think. You know, Alvin Gentry talked in all, all of preseason and about how Alfred Payton got to the rim uh, better than any guard not named Russell Westbrook. Being two behind Westbrook is good. And when you can go drive and attack the rim, and if it's not there, dump it off to AD, there's worse scenarios for you to be in. Yeah, uh, I wonder how much him cutting his hair makes him better. I think because, that's a legit thing, actually. Like, we can joke about that, but it's got to be the case, no, right? I'm I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. Because 
I watched him play and that hair bobbed in front of his face for so like you miss things and he literally his shot would either hit his hair or he moved his arm to avoid his hair and now that's gone and like there we we do joke sometimes but i swear that there's something there's something to it no, 100%. Again, you said it. It flopped in front of his eyes when he was going up for a jumper just because of the way physics works. And we always saw it hand in a guy's face, kind of make him lose the rim. His hair was doing that for him. His shooting percentage is going to go up like 5%, I think, just because of that alone, which is kind of wild when you think about how just cutting your hair just makes a huge difference like that. I want him to admit it. That's the only thing I want this year in the NBA. Well, not the only thing, but... No, no, no. You like, said it. It's on the record. <laughs> this is a legally binding contract. We just, and I'll work on it for you, man. Let's just that would make my year, though. I just want him to say, yes, my hair was a problem. Just admit it so we could all just move on. So we now know how my media credential with the Pelicans is going to get revoked here. <laughs> uh, so moving, moving on. 126 for the Denver Nuggets, 112 for the Sacramento Kings. This one was basically just a blowout. Also, if you look at this one, it's kind of weird. 68 bench points for Sacramento, 53 for Denver. This game got kind of like oddly deep with the second units. Yeah, I mean, there was so much just spread out scoring. Uh, what the, the Nuggets had eight players in double figures. Uh, everything just kind of spread out. It, look, the Nuggets just look great and the kings the kings have been fun this this uh that's a good way to put season. it they've been fun they haven't been good but they've been fun and it's nice to see uh, i think one of the stories here this early on like look marvin bagley had a great game and the the rookies this season have with all all of the uh conversation about where where certain guys got picked and and who got you know traded for whom and the fact that these these young guys are kind of all sort of playing well right now it's it's nice like i i don't want any of these guys to fail because i just want all these great players in the league so it's nice to see young guys slowly coming together against sacramento still not good but promise is there and of course denver with they've they've looked really really good and to see them actually coming through with with barton out uh has been uh fun here uh, again uh, spread out the offense uh don't get any of your players any of your starters more than 28 minutes against a, a bad team do what you're supposed to do against a bad team i thought it was great for them yeah, I mean, you said it. The minutes thing is kind of big. You had Gary Harris playing a shade over 26. Jokic played a shade over 23. That's really good. And Millsap played 22. That's perfect for what they want to do. So are you buying kind of the Nuggets hype? They were hyped going into the year. But so far, with I don't know what the numbers are going to bear out after this game, but they were the number one defense going into this. If they can defend, they're going to be terrifying. I don't think that's going to hold up. No, for sure not. But we've talked about this. Like I've mentioned Mike Malone as a dark horse kind of coach of the year candidate. Like I think that the Nuggets have enough to 
kind of put it together like that last year they were sort of uh what's the word very frustrating um and i think having gone through that there might be some some growth here that harris gets better jamal murray gets better uh will barton comes through that Millsap being healthy it does uh you know does wonders for them that Jokic being Jokic get getting doing all the things that he does rising to like an all-star level. I mean, if, if he's an all-star, then that really helps. I mean, that's the exact type of all-star that you want with the, with the rest of this team. I, I, I buy the nuggets. I buy the nuggets. I, I would not be completely shocked if the nuggets made the top four in the West. No, with, with the way they've played, and if that defense hovers, not at number one, but in the top 10, top 15, they're going to be a, a tough out. And also, they're Denver. You have an unbelievable home court advantage built in with that, which is a very scary thing to think about going forward with this team and what they're able to potentially do there. So, John, you've got the big interview coming up with Sam Amick of The Athletic. But first, guys, we've got to talk about something, and that's sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. It's BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as other pills, so you can be when, uh, ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and, stri- and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. No in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct they're cheaper than going to a pharmacy right now we've got a special for our listeners visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code locked on just pay five dollars shipping again that's bluechew b-l-u-e chew.com promo code locked on to try it for free bluechew is the better cheaper faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring locked on nba joining me now from the athletic Sam Amick. Sam, I know you've been running around. Thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us. Uh, appreciate it. No problem, John. Thanks for having me. Of course. Right. Yeah, so let's let's just dive right into it. Uh, your latest piece was from uh, with DeMar DeRozan, who is talking about his, his uh, acclimation now with San Antonio. And he <laughs> – it's kind of funny. He finally got rid of LeBron, and then he gets traded to the Western Conference, and then he goes and faces LeBron, gets the win. Uh, what, right. what are you getting from – what did you get from DeMar DeRozan, a little bit of preview of what your piece is on The Athletic? So he seemed like he was in a, a good place. I've always enjoyed DeMar in general. I mean, he's just a, a good guy and, and a good interview. Uh, you know, listen, it was weird to see – for me to see DeMar in that Spurs jersey – now, I saw him in the preseason for, for a minute in San Antonio, but he's on that floor with LeBron, and I still can't get used to seeing LeBron in the purple and gold. And they go at each other, fun game, overtime. LeBron ends up, you know, I mean, LeBron had a good game, but he didn't shoot very well from the field. And then he ends up obviously not coming through at the end with those free throws. And DeMar also didn't shoot that great from the field. But the, the thing that jumped out at me in terms of his game 
and I'm curious to see if, you know, if he's going to be a different version of himself in San Antonio is the playmaking. They have all these injuries to their point guards right now, and they need guys to, to help facilitate the offense. And he had a career-high 14 assists last night, so that was certainly not expected. But, uh, you know, beyond that, a lot of what we talked about was, for one, he said he's still rusty. He's still learning a pop system, learning how to be a spur and the defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball. And then, you know, also just still kind of emotionally transitioning from that brutal divorce with Toronto. We all know that he was not happy with the trade, wasn't happy because they, you know, he claimed that Masai Ujiri wasn't going to, told him he wasn't going to trade him. And so a lot to unpack there, but a, a good conversation for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's always tough when these guys, that you, you get told one thing and then a scenario uh, shows up. I mean, I saw it with uh, Isaiah Thomas in Boston. I mean, you go from a guy that's right. talking about back up the Brinks truck, and I mean, I, I saw Isaiah Thomas become one of the most beloved figures in, in modern Celtics history in the, in the course of one season, and then all of a sudden he's right. gone. Um, so you'd think that these players kind of know that, even though you say one thing, when all of a sudden Kawhi Leonard becomes available, that there's got to be a part of him that says, look, it's it's always been a business. It's always going to be a business. What can I do about it? But he seems like genuinely hurt by this. He does. He does. And I mean, I think part of it is, you know, every, when, it, when Masai first got to Toronto, for me, you know, and I've gotten to know Masai a little bit during the Denver days, and I was always surprised that he didn't blow it up more than he did in those first couple of years because he, you know, his wiring had not been one of restraint. I mean, he, he is a disruptor and a guy who is bold and the way he does his job. And so in that regard, I wasn't shocked. It was, it was kind of later and it took longer than I thought it would. I never knew which piece it would be or which pieces it would be, but you know, it, because he took some time to make that move and because of everything they did accomplish, uh, you know, in the East, you then had this foundation that guys like Demar and Kyle took a lot of pride in, and it makes it that much tougher when you make the move. Now, you know, basketball-wise, take the human component out of it. I mean, early on, I mean, listen, Demar looks like a good fit with the Spurs, but this version of the Raptors looks like it's next level and potentially really special, and and you know, could wind up winning the East. But it's uh, it was a tough one, and and then you got that friendship with. Tamar and Kyle, which kind of put a whole yeah. other layer on it. Yeah, that's that's tough. You know, it's tough when you develop a close friendship, especially when it was a rocky start for those two and, and what it developed. So that's always tough. Now, you, you're in the locker room talking to the Spurs, and an interesting conversation came up. And, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the whole freedom of movement and the explosion of points. Everybody's kind of putting two plus two, the new freedom of movement emphasis, which is a lot of fouls, and, and players are, are really – being called these games are being called tightly and this explosion of points and you're telling me before the the we started recording here that while you're in the Spurs locker room Rudy Gay just pops up and says I I, I kind of have something to say about this so we're sitting in the locker room and I'm talking to LaMarcus Aldridge and I had actually mentioned to him that what we were hearing from Spurs PR was that and I forget the number but whatever the Spurs gave up in that overtime game against the Lakers was the highest uh, opponent point total in the history of Greg Popovich's Spurs coaching career, which is a heck of a statement. I mean, we're talking about a whole lot of games and a whole lot of high-level defense, and so this was not a defensive night to be proud of for San Antonio. And when I mentioned that to LaMarcus, 
Rudy Gay sitting, you know, five or seven feet away from us kind of made a crack about how, man, the league's going soft. And I kind of laughed because, you know, at that point, Rudy wasn't part of the conversation. And LaMarcus kind of grinned, looks at me, and he goes, I think Rudy wants to talk to you. <laughs> so I was like, all right. And I know Rudy a little bit from, you know, I think as you know, I'm based in Northern California when Rudy was with the Kings. You know, he spent some time in Sacramento. So Rudy's opinion and his perspective and what he went, in, you know, went on to talk about was that the guys are just feeling like they can't touch anybody. You know, you know, freedom of movement, you know, just the statement alone tells you, indicates what we're talking about here. If you're a defender, you know, you hear that phrase. What are you talking about? Freedom of movement. You know, no, how, how about I lock you down? Like, that's what we right. do. And, and, and so Rudy just flat out said, I mean, he used the word soft multiple times. He was frustrated. He says, you can't touch guys. You know, I, I made kind of a weak parallel to the NFL and, and I was mainly focusing just on the entertainment value in pro sports and how sometimes you see pro sports leagues, you know, tweak the rules to, to juice up the offense and sell more tickets, you know, and, and, but he went down like the CTE road. He's like, man, we're not trying to protect any quarterbacks in this league. Like we don't need this stuff. You know, he, so he was frustrated. And the other, the best part of the interaction was that I was waiting for LaMarcus Aldridge to give his two cents. But, but um, LaMarcus, as he was quick to note, he kind of laughed again. He goes, man, I shot 18 free throws tonight, so I, I'm probably not the guy to complain. <laughs> <laughs> so I think guys are getting used to it. I mean, Rudy said that, you know, it was going to be an adjustment and they got to just figure out, you know, how to make that adjustment. But it's you know, definitely, I think, a transition for a lot of guys. Yeah, there are a lot there are a lot of shots going up. Like We're recording this. The, the I had the Sixers-Pistons game going on in the background Pistons just won one thirty three to one thirty two, and the Pistons it was an overtime game, but still they put up one hundred and eight field goal attempts. Like that's just a monster type of uh, performance. Blake Griffin took thirty five shots in this game. That that is oh my lord. That is a wild wild number, and it's it's not uncommon to see teams right now in the first week putting up 90-plus shots a game. I think the combination of not being able to touch anybody and a lot of fouls being called, not only are guys taking free throws, but there's more, like when you say freedom movement, that just leads to more open shots. And right. to some degree, that 14-second reset and an offensive rebound is forcing shots to go up quicker. So it really feels like the NBA, like this is great for them. To see a team win 133 to 132, they – I don't think Adam Silver's upset about this. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but there's the other thing, you know, if this keeps up, you're talking about, you know, kind of skewing the history books. You know what I mean? I mean, what kind of numbers are we going to see individually? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of, uh, of of major adjustments. Maybe they didn't anticipate that it was going to have this kind of a drastic impact this early, and, and we'll see where it goes from here. Because you know these coaches – are going to start chirping about how hard it is to, uh, you know, to actually defend and to, to keep things on an even keel. So we'll see, but it's obviously pretty drastic. 
Well, it's going to go back to like the mid sixties NBA when teams like the, the leader, uh, in field goal attempts was like 116 per game and guys were averaging like 30 rebounds a game. Cause so you get one of those teams where nobody's hitting, somebody's going to go out there and grab 30 rebounds. Like I wouldn't be surprised if somebody pulls a 30 well, rebound not, game in this. It's not, not somebody. It's Russell Westbrook. We know who's <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come that's on. A, that's a good point. It, it, uh, let, but let, no, I agree. It, it, it's like the, uh, the, the, it's almost like the fat lever nugget days, you know, yeah. where it's, it's high octane. So, you know, we'll see. It'll be, I'm sure it'll all even out, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Speaking of fiery point yep. guards, Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul, you were, you were there for that. And today Rondo fanning the flames again, calling Chris Paul a bad teammate, which is kind of hilarious knowing Rondo and how it ended in Boston and Daryl Morey had a great sure. tweet of a black pot and a black kettle seemingly right. kind of uh, referring to this, but uh, two things there, there's, there's a segment of NBA fandom. That's like, yeah, yeah. Chris Paul's an, a, a jerk. And there are people who are like, yeah, but the, he's, he's also made kind of lifelong friends and, and it's not like players don't necessarily want to play with them. Some don't, some do. And then there's the uh, always interesting 2008 Boston Celtics, like Glenn Davis coming out and going, nope, I played with both Chris Paul's and, you know, horrible teammate. Those 2008 Celtics minus Ray Allen are ride or die, man. You can't say nothing about those guys. It's, it's hilarious. It's crazy. It's crazy. Although the problem is right about the time that, we think that maybe we can litigate this thing in the court of public opinion with other opinions coming into play, like Glenn Davis. Like every dude who's speaking up has warts, like big warts. You know what I mean? Like I don't know, the big baby is the guy right. to, to break things out. You know, and and that's across the board. Um, listen, you use that word fiery. You know, Rondo and CP are they're fiery, but I do think you know they're they're different players and they're different people. And they've been doing this for a decade. And, you know, it, it's kind of a matter of who you talk to when it comes to what side, you know, somebody's going to fall on. Now, I will say this. It, this has been a, a challenging story for me to report on because, you know, like in the in the immediate aftermath, you know, I was there that night in Staples. Uh, I mean, listen, Chris Paul is a genius when it comes to the, the public sector. I mean, he wasted no time controlling the narrative right after the fight. He's literally at the ESPN table telling Mark Jackson and Mike Breen that he got spit on. And so now that's on the national, you know, television network. He, uh, he, you know, he's then telling, I believe Floyd Mayweather of all people, uh, who's sitting there at the game and he's controlling the narrative, but the Rondo camp, was adamant in the beginning that Rondo didn't spit. So then the, the video comes out and we see once you get the, the high def, you know, I mean, the, the one that we put up with this 200 megabyte, you know, Zapruder film, film type file. And, uh, there is obviously spit. Like, I don't know what else to say. The spit falls on Chris. If it was me, I'd be hot and I, I think anybody would react. But the, the one distinction that his people kept making, Rondo's camp, I guess you'll call it is that you can't, you just can't be a mind reader and talk about intent. And so Rajon comes out today and obviously makes it, you know, abundantly clear that in his opinion and on his side is that it wasn't intent intentional and, and he doesn't like being labeled as a spitter, but it's, it's tough, man. The, you know, he's, he's got stuff with his background where he's not necessarily going to get the, the, uh, the benefit of the doubt 
in public, but uh, it's a heck of a story and, and one of the most unique ones that I've covered. Yeah, this it's so funny that well, you've got a lot of different elements. You got two guys that are very divisive. There are still people who just love Rondo in Boston, and people who have have hated Rondo in Boston for a long time. You get the same thing with Chris Paul, and you know when you're breaking down spit, there's just this wild kind of reaction that people have. Like it just consumed everybody. So it's just it's just nuts. I think, and then you actually had punches thrown, which right you don't right. see you don't see actual punches landing. So this one was particularly bad. Are you surprised by the way it was the uh, the le- length of the suspensions? Yeah, I definitely am. And honestly, if I can get home in the next few days and, and you know get a little time carved out, I, I I was thinking about writing something on it. I just I think it's light. Um, you know, I, I think I don't I don't know. I I talked to some of those Spurs players. I talked to Doc Rivers about this too, trying to get opinions on whether or not it was light. And there's some people think it wasn't. Uh, honestly, the problem with asking people within the NBA is that they all want to hold on to their money. So, of course. you know, like these are like they all know that if they come out and say it was light, the next time they do something wrong, then, you know, you're almost encouraging a, a greater uh, suspension. <laughs> but it's the, the thing that kind of bugs me is that the league continues to to kind of spin the idea that, well, you know, if you break down Chris Paul's salary and you're talking about three games that's a massive amount of money that's just not that's not the benchmark to me at all um because they make a a, a crazy amount of money it's it's to me if you're a player and if you have a problem with a guy and you're thinking about throwing a haymaker now and to me the calculus is now going to be can i can i deal with two games on the sideline you know just psychologically you know it's not just money these guys are competitors they don't want to miss very much of the season. Uh, I, I don't think two games is scaring anybody. I think, you know, I would not be shocked if this doesn't open the door for more situations like this. Be, and, and nobody with the league could be mad at me for having that opinion because all these years that they came down heavy on the players and, and mostly in the David Stern era, the, you know, it was the inverse type of logic, which was, you know, it's pretty straightforward. They wanted to make sure guys knew that would not be tolerated. And as a result, you always heard players. I don't know why I have Kevin Durant is like in my head. He's like the spokesman for this. Like Durant always just has the expression of man, and nobody, no one's trying to fight in this league. Like that's it. No one's trying to fight because of the, the heavy handed way that the league has handled discipline. And, and this is not all that heavy handed. I mean, Ingram in particular, my goodness. Like, you know, I actually want to reach out to the official association and get their opinion here because they can't be happy. You know, he, he comes up on Jason Phillips in a pretty threatening way. Uh, and, and then on top of that is throwing sucker punches, you know, on guys who are not even looking. And, and those two things together only bring you to four games, you know, and then publicly he's the first to come out and even admit that he thought it was going to be a bigger suspension. So I think it was definitely right. Yeah. The sucker punch is, is really the bad thing. Cause we've seen sucker punches really do some serious damage. I mean, I had people bring up right. Washington to me because that's the type of right. thing when a guy's not looking and a, a big punch comes in, it doesn't matter that he's skinny. He's a big dude with a reach and momentum. You hit somebody the right way that could do some serious damage. So I can't, well, and I, John, not only that, but like his, this part bugs me a little bit, you know, Kiki Vandaway on his conference call, was essentially asked if they take into account whether a punch connected. And if I'm not mistaken, the answer was yes. I don't understand that. You know, um, Bobby Portis gets eight games 
because he connected, you know, in a, in a big way on Nikola Miritich in practice. And because there was a serious injury, then you've got a, a suspension that twice what Brandon Ingram's was. Uh, you know, I don't think that's the way that they should be litigating this stuff because, you know, guys shouldn't be getting off just because they had bad aim on a punch. That's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. All right, Sam, I'm going to let you go here because uh, we've, we've talked for a while. I, you know, we have this conversation. We could probably go for like 40 minutes, but I'll let you go. Uh, Sam's got a bunch of great stuff on The Athletic, uh, a conversation with Mike D'Antoni about the uh, – it, it's kind of cool sitting down for a meal, talking about the Rockets, a great piece with Jeannie Buss when she's talking about her you know, starting with stand-up comedy, and, and it goes into mental health, which is a big topic for me. I'm a big advocate for mental health, so that's an especially great piece in my opinion. So go – Search for uh, Sam's on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick and the athletic. Like we said earlier, subscribe to the athletic. It's the athletic.com slash locked on NBA to get uh two ninety nine a month, less than three bucks a month. You get Sam Amick. You get all of the athletic for just two ninety nine with the athletic.com slash locked on NBA. Sam, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. You got it, John. I enjoyed it. Thanks brother. Talk to you soon. Awesome interview there with Sam Amick of The Athletic. Don't forget that he and Ben Golliver of SportsIllustrated.com, two of the best in the business, are going to be regulars on the Locked On NBA pod. Just another reason to subscribe and listen daily wherever you get your podcast from. All right, John, we got an interesting story that's kind of in your territory here. Former Celtic Paul Pierce starting a vaping company, but he doesn't frame it at that. He frames this more as a way to help NBA players and athletes with chronic pain. Yeah, so he announced the company today uh, on on Tuesday called Vesper, and it's a vaping company. It sells the vape device. They have a thing called the Vesper One. It's fifty nine bucks. It, it comes in a bunch of colors, and like I'm not a vapor, so I I don't know exactly what it. But you put your whatever you're vaping in it, and you you use it. Okay, so that's that's the company, but. The way he sold it when he tweeted it out, he said, it's a great way for me to intake my CBD oils for chronic pain and anxiety. These type of medications should be uh, in allowed in sports as an alternative to pain pills and other issues athletes deal with on a day-to-day basis, which I thought was very, very interesting because he's not just getting into the vaping business. He's getting into the medical marijuana business and saying that, it should be used for these players uh, who are dealing with these issues, not not just physical, but mental. That So that's the big thing to me, actually, about that. We, we'll touch on that in a second, though. That, and I, I just I like the fact that uh, he kind of waded into these waters. It's it's a little sensitive. It's, it's certainly, you know, there's murky uh, murkiness to it. I personally uh, am all for having this conversation because anything that is an alternative to a highly addictive drug for pain medication is, is I think it's, it's definitely worth having the conversation. Well, so I think it's interesting, again, the way he kind of is pitching this, not as a vaping device or a vaping company. I'm with you. I don't do any of that, so I'm not as familiar with it. But it's more about how to help athletes just be better and we've seen how pro sports can kind of just chew these guys out spit them to the side and then they're done and they don't care and they live with lifelong problems so coming up with an alternative that 
puts them in, I guess, in a better situation is maybe the best way to say it, is certainly going to be a good thing. The NBA, you know, has kind of stayed out of this for the most part. They're a very progressive league, but this doesn't seem like waters they necessarily want to wade into. But I think with Paul Pierce doing this, it's almost kind of forcing their hand where now they need to kind of talk about this when you have an all-time great going out and mentioning this. And as you said, they're at the forefront kind of, of the mental aspect of things. I see it here in New Orleans with Jaleel Okafor. We've talked about it on this podcast here and the mental aspect and how that's so important for these players. If this helps with that, it seems like something that they would kind of welcome with open arms. They can kind of find a way to phase it in properly. Yeah, it's it's very sensitive because it's it's a banned substance and it has until now until recently been an illegal substance but modern science has kind of brought it into the forefront look the marijuana is legal for not just medicinal use but recreational use across the united states some states municipalities have different rules some of it is only medicinal the entire country of canada has now approved it for recreational use there is uh there is a movement and a lot of these players who are dealing with chronic issues, dealing with pain, live in cities and states where it's legal for a doctor to prescribe something like this to, say, me or you and say, hey, this is a nice alternative. I'm not going to give you an opioid. I'm going to give you this. I think this will help you out a lot. An athlete living next door to you a professional athlete, an NBA athlete, can't get that same treatment. And I think that's where this conversation really gets interesting because why not? Why is a legal treatment banned? It's not a performance enhancer. It's legal. The players can go drink. Players can take other things that are much more dangerous, but they can't take this. And I think Paul Pierce doing this in this way kind of opens things up and people like us are having the conversation. It's now a topic on podcasts and now it's on the news. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the big thing. This is not the end of this conversation. It's not the end of this topic. It's absolutely the beginning. And again, it's a progressive league. I think we all like Adam Silver as the commissioner. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see where this goes. And it's only going to kind of go from this. Look, let's not pretend like NBA players aren't finding other ways to kind of get around this stuff. I think that's basically a known thing at this point. Yeah, right. Finding a way to kind of integrate that and do it in the proper channels is going to be kind of the tricky thing. But again, like you said, it's legal in a ton of states now. Recreational use is legal in certain states, including Massachusetts. So I, you know, I think it's one of those things that if the NBA kind of wants to be at the forefront of all of this and it has a proven benefit for their players, there's no reason not to. No, I agree. I agree. And look, I, I've played sports. I know what it's like to deal with pain. I also know that these guys go out there and are called soft when they don't want to play through certain injuries, they are expected, uh, especially in other sports, but in all sports that you're expected to play through something, you know, everybody's got through, everybody's got bumps, bruises, strains, something there's every player will say when it gets to the playoffs, you know, nobody's hundred percent in the playoffs. And why wouldn't they have all options available when it's been proven to be not be harmful and proven to be legal. 
And on top of it, look, there's the recreational aspect of it. There's the mental health aspect of it. These guys are told you, you treat your body like a temple. These guys eat clean. They eat healthy. At the end of a stressful day, what do we all do? Come home, have a drink. You know, like that's, that's a common thing. You come home, glass of wine, maybe a beer, maybe a whiskey, something like that. A lot of, a lot of people do it. That's why alcohol advertising is all over the place. Now, having a smoke or an edible or vaping a, you know, whatever, vaping some, some cannabis oil that provides the same relief mentally. And it's not as harmful as alcohol. It doesn't tear your body up inside. Why not? Why yeah, I, not? Look at what, how it might have helped a guy like Kevin Love last year where he had, you know, the panic attack and everything. And he felt like he was going to die. And it sounded like what he was going through was truly awful. Why wouldn't you want to kind of help him out in any possible way? Maybe, you know, Tyron Lue, potentially same thing, though. I know that was kind of different. So I think they need to kind of look at all aspects to make sure these guys are okay. And if the goal is to improve their health, and that's why the season's longer, to reduce back-to-backs, to reduce the strain on their bodies – You've got to do more than what you're doing now, and you've got to kind of explore every avenue. And now Paul Pierce has kind of pushed this into the forefront, so I definitely think it's a good thing. Yep, I think it's time to re- to end the stigma of marijuana and what it may lead to, and all of that. It's the science is there, and I'm I'm happy to that Paul Pierce is continuing this conversation. It's a worthy conversation. All sports leagues should have this conversation. The NBA is, if they want to be progressive, this is an opportunity to do so. Uh, It's not just taking a social stand. Sometimes that's easier to say we will take this social stand. This is a complicated issue, and I think this is an opportunity for the NBA to be on the forefront of moving forward with how players' mental and physical health is treated. Like we said, it's not the end of the conversation. It's the beginning. But you know what it is the end of? The Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. You're such a pro. You're such a pro. We've gotten good at this over like the six plus months that we've been doing it now. So thank you all for listening. Of course, on every Wednesday, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales. I'm co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You find my work, redsarmy.com, boston.com. Oh, and my Patreon. Patreon.com slash John Corrales. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you all next week.